It's time for a PSA podcast service announcement. Ah, another day in self-isolation. I've been here for weeks now, working from home as an editor for Mr. Millennial Magazine. Or M&M. NM. Hmm. I sure am getting lonely, though. Putting off marriage and kids sure sounded great in 2011. But, oh boy, am I starting to feel a little lonely. Perhaps I should go outside. Maybe to a bar? Holy words with friends. There's a hologram forming right in front of my desktop computer. Hello there, Mr. Millennial. Hey, I know you. You're big business. The president, CEO, CFO, COO, and HR manager of Bestflix, the best streaming provider on the planet. Ah, true, Mr. Millennial. And unlike your Fortnite, it's not virtual reality you're seeing. It's I, big business. And I couldn't help but notice you have not responded to the dozens, nay, hundreds of emails I've sent you in regards to our policy concerning this pandemic. Sorry, big business. I just get so many emails these days. I'm sick of looking at my computer. I want to look at the world. Now, hold on there and keep your fit bit where I can see it. It's dangerous right now to go outside, Mr. Millennial, unless absolutely necessary. You could contract a very contagious virus, not only putting yourself at risk, but also the older individuals such as myself trekking to the pharmacy for drugs. Prescription drugs, you degenerate. Well, gee willikers, big business. What am I supposed to do all day in my studio apartment, surrounded by Wi-Fi, running water, and an endless array of takeout options? It's not like I can just remember my Skype password and start having virtual conversations with my friends and family I've neglected for years. <laughs> now see, that's where I come in, Generation Y bother. In lieu of movie theaters shutting down across the world, I've taken the brave, nay, selfless action of exploiting this crisis by releasing new movies and TV shows for you to enjoy to your heart's content. I've even thrown in a few classic movies, too. Some were even made before 1990. Jumping Gmail, big business. That sounds sweller than a Spotify playlist that reminds me of my high school days way back in 2007. Yes, yes, good, good. Now, I must run along and interrupt the lives of all your neighbors whom you've never met. Hey, wait a minute, big business. I'm not even subscribed to Bestflix since you messed up my favorite TV show on their Stranger Danger things. How did you get my information and show up in my apartment without my permission? And what kind of drugs are you getting at the pharmacy? Always uh, 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 uh. Oh, so clever, aren't you, Mr. Millennial? Asking the questions Generation X is too apathetic to ask while re-watching Encino Man. I assure you, Mr. Millennial, you haven't seen the last of me, big business. You will rue the day you underestimated my power over politicians. Okay, Boomer, joke's on you, because I'm voting for a politician who will stand up for all of us, and that politician is none other than- Cinemaholics is a nonpartisan film review talk show that admittedly has no business making polarizing commentary on big business. Yet, yeah, see show notes for more details. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I am John Agroni. I'm the box office columnist for Adam Tickets. Well, not right now. Head writer of Cinemaholics.com and I occasionally write books from a bunker. He is a pop culture writer 
for Cinema Blend, I hope. And he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashton. Yeah, I mean, I certainly hope so as well. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I hope you're still staying busy, Will. Yeah, I try to be. Well, it's our first episode where neither of us went to the cinema. But wait, mm-hmm. you're saying, this podcast is called Cinemaholics. Well, guess what? The cinema is what you make of it? True. Look, we're just adjusting. We're trying to figure this out as we go, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I, let's not get fussy with the details. The cinema is officially Will Ashen's living room, and it's okay. a very comfy living room. And it's going to very crowded. Yeah, yeah. Here, here we go, right? We're going to be talking about a bunch of films mm-hmm. that you can watch right now on streaming, and those include Big Time Adolescence, The Banker, Stargirl, Lost Girls. It's going to be fun. But for now, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. You can write into the show anytime by emailing us, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And you can support us directly by becoming one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. And of course, you can always support this podcast non-financially, but still helpfully by going to ratethispodcast.com slash cinemaholics. And that's how you can find out how you can help rate this podcast and give us the star ratings that help get our show out into the ether for more people to discover during these trying times. And uh, it, you guys did it over the last week. We've gotten a few five-star reviews. So grateful for that. And like I said last nice. week, we take those five-star reviews as 4.5s automatically by default. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, us, it's, it's us listening to the listeners. And they're, they're saying, that's what you're telling us right now. It's like, you guys are more like 4.5. You could be better. Could always be better. But this is like a, a loan this five-star rating, and so mm-hmm. Will and I have to pay interest by yep. interesting all of you. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> we just have a couple of off-topics to get to. First off, our extra milestone is live right now. Will Ashton and myself and Samuel Nolan talked about His Girl Friday, which celebrated its 80th anniversary this past February. We're, of course, late to the game, of course, because it's March but mm-hmm. really excited that that extra milestone is now available. And that was a great conversation. Well, I, I enjoyed talking about this movie with you. Yeah, it was neat because uh, I think Sam mentioned in the episode that it was one of the few where we had kind of contradicting or differing opinions on the yeah. film. Not not extremely so, but enough to make it a fairly uh, uh, lively conversation, I'd say. Right. You were a believer in love during that episode sure. and I wasn't, which is kind of uh, topsy-turvy. I don't think that usually happens, but I guess um, not. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, it's been kind of a, you know, like I said, it's been trying times. We're in week two of self-isolation movie theaters across the planet, uh, mainly the United States, as we're discussing in North America in general. Movie theaters are closed right now. We can't go to the movies. Well, I'm feeling it. I miss the movie theater. You know, it's a little look. It's cliche. It's a little annoying when people say this, but I'm going to say it because I'm sad. It's it's like it's like another church for me going to the movies, and I, I feel like my spiritual connection to cinema is is starting to really feel a little worn out. I miss it a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, like like we're going to be talking about on the show, there are other venues and different ways you can watch movies right now. So it's not like we've been robbed of them, but going to cinema is just different, and it just doesn't feel the same without going there. And you know, it's obviously a small thing in the scheme of things, but. It's still, you know, it, it, it does feel like a big absence, at least in our lives. 
It really does. But the nice thing is that the listeners, we asked you last week to give us ideas and recommendations for the kinds of episodes you want to see moving forward. We got a lot of interest in Big Time Adolescence, which is now streaming on Who's. So we're going to get into that in just a moment. But we also got a lot of feedback. Uh, people still really want game nights. Uh, you all had ideas for different bonus episodes we can do. Uh, we did get an email or two. Actually, yeah, like we got like two emails and a tweet or two about doing another Q&A episode. So a lot of interest out of nowhere for doing Q&As and things like that. And if I recall, we also got some interest in the first time viewing, but going through like our favorite movies of all time. Which, okay. uh, which I know my favorite movie of all time. There's two of them: Mask of Zorro and The Apartment, and mm-hmm. Knight's Tale. I'll just throw three in there. Did you have a couple of go-to's? Well, I know one of them is uh, the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, I mean, there's that, and then there's uh, Punch Drunk Love is another one. There's a couple others, mm-hmm. but is Knight's Tale really one of your favorite movies? Oh yeah, you knew this. Okay. I've never been shy about. I don't know. I mean, you've mentioned it in a way that could seem kind of like. Uh, you know, kind of tongue on cheeks. I wasn't one hundred percent sure. I have nothing against the movie. I just didn't know it was one of your favorites. No, way that, I mean, like, Mask it, of was. It is. It is a bit of a goofy movie, Knight's Tale. It's not exactly like it's famously one of the. It it it, it was like a Rotten Tomato score movie in its time. But as you've seen, like people love that movie, myself included. It's just like, True. man, that that's just a good movie with Heath Ledger and uh, Rufus Sewell, as we mentioned. Paul Bettany, one of his one of my favorite performances from him ever. So uh, and uh, oh, yeah, and Alan Tudyk. Can't forget him. So yeah. I there's all kinds of movies that Will and I would love to talk about. I don't know. If we'd be able to do first time viewings because I think we've seen all of each other's favorites, except for the apartment. Well, I haven't seen, yeah, I was going to say I haven't seen the apartment. So that'd probably be the one for me. Yeah. But we want to hold on that, though, because that could be yeah. an extra milestone this year. That came out in 1960. And so Sam and I had talked about the apartment showing up on the polls for extra milestone. Yeah. I mean, I guess the one I'd pick for you is maybe Mary and Max, but I, don't, I forget if you've seen that one or not. I've seen Mary and Mad Max. Well, that'd be quite a movie. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, keep sending the ideas our way. We're going to deliberate and figure them out moving forward. We're also trying to figure out which guests we want to bring on for what. So if you have ideas for that as well, as always, you can find us in all our typical social media channels. You can go to the show notes and do that as well. Uh, we just want to hear what you all have to think. And of course, you can always go to cinemaholics.com. Cinemaholics.what? Cinemaholics.com. www. Enjoy the rest of this episode. We hope that it is uh, up. It's a little different. You know, we're not talking about anything you can see right now in theaters, but we are going to be talking about some fascinating films. And uh, I think this will be a, a good old, good old fashioned episode in its own right. So let's get started with our first review, Big Time Adolescence. So this movie, you can watch it right now on Hulu. It actually premiered at the Sundance Film Festival last year. Uh, I missed it last year. I, it kind of wasn't really on my radar, but uh, this one is kind of well known for being one of the first, like more. Uh, I, I think it's not the first movie Pete Davidson has been in, but I, I think it's like his first real starring role. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I know he has the Jet Apatow one, presumably coming out later this year. But I believe, yeah, because I mean, other than the, a couple other films I can think of, they're all supporting. I mean, that's what I mean. Like they're all supporting performances that I can think of. So I think this yeah. is the first lead. I think I can double check, but I'm pretty sure you're right. He's definitely been supporting like uh, I'm looking at his filmography right now. He's actually going to be in the Suicide Squad, the James Gunn movie that comes out next yeah, but year. I, I don't. But I think that's I don't know if that's a big know. role or anything. I mean, from what I've heard, the casting's going to be kind of funky for that. Like 
I, don't, I mean, I don't want to give anything. It might be a spoiler, but that might, I don't know, that could be lead or supporting. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, there was uh, the big Lebowski follow-up thing. I think the he Jesus was in rules. that, but that's, yeah. he's, yeah, yeah. There's also, uh, he did a voice for one of the characters in Angry Birds movie two. Oh, uh, he was in the dirt. He was in what oh, yeah. men want. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, before that he, he had like small roles and like set it up. I forgot he was in set it up. I totally he- missed that. He was in train wreck from five years ago. Yeah. He was like, like a cameo in train wreck. I was going to say, cause I think that's the first time I saw him in a movie. He was like one of the patients for Bill Hader. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but I didn't, I never got around to seeing set up. I remember like he didn't have a big part in that, but that was around the whole like Ariana Grande thing. So, like, they, like, really pushed, like, he's in this movie. He, you know him. So, like, they kept, like, showing his face on a little, like, thumbnail. Like, he's in this thing. Yeah. But he was, like... He's all, come he was, a like, long way since. Yeah. But, like, he was, like, fifth billing in that film, right, for Set It Up? Well, and, you know, his fame has really taken off in, in more recent years, you know? I, I, he had his big Netflix special. I forget the name of it, but I watched most of it. And I thought it was actually it, really funny. Uh, oh, was it? Because I heard that wasn't great. I liked it a lot. Okay. Uh, did Corey say he liked it? I know he saw it. Yeah, I think he, I think he thought it was like pretty good, but I don't, I don't want to speak for him. Yeah, I, I forget exactly. It, it's what he kind said. of like a, it's like a B minus comedy special, not too special, but yeah, I thought it was definitely a fun way to pass, uh, pass an afternoon. Honestly, okay. yeah, I, his timing is really good, and you know, since we're on the topic of Pete Davidson, before we get into the movie, I think he's just a very fascinating guy. He's very young. He's only twenty six mm-hmm. years old. We've definitely been aware of him for a while, but he just seems to have this, there's an energy around his persona that inexplicably, like, controversy and beautiful, talented women just seem to really gravitate to this guy. What, what's your take on on Pete Davidson in, in general? Um. Well, that's the thing. I don't really know. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, well, he's somebody who gets publicize a lot or like tabloid a lot and i know i've had to written write about him a good bit for cinema blend and i think you know i mean he's been through a lot like i know his personal history is definitely uh filled with a lot of like dark and tragic moments and i think i think in the right moments he can be funny but i also think like people try to like push him too far like they i don't know if he's like really super versatile as like an actor or comedic performer but like, i don't know like i don't really like enjoy his like segment or like skits on snl by like his like weekend update segments where he's just like himself and kind of doing like the norm mcdonald like i'm just saying what i think i'm thinking right now kind of thing but like the whole like every time he's on like a skit he like can't like go through it without like smirking the whole time like jimmy fallon so that kind of bugs me so i don't know where i stand on him is uh your my roundabout answer well you know what i like the guy and i like the guy even more after seeing I, i like him even more after seeing his first like you know, top billing movie, which is big time adolescence. And they, they've kind of held on to this, held on to releasing it for about a year now, obviously, or over a year. And it's a great cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it stars Griffin Gluck, Emily Arluke, Colson Baker, Sidney Sweeney, and John Cryer, who I wasn't expecting to see in this. The yeah. the plot synopsis is very basic. We, we have Pete Davidson's character as this guy named Zeke, who uh, dated this girl in high school, and he became really close with her younger brother mo or also known as monroe played by griffin gluck and over the course of about six years the two of them become inseparable best friends movie makes several jokes about how it's like batman and robin except batman in this case is a stoner with tattoos who's obviously a very terrible influence 
And Robin, in this case, is kind of a high school outcast who, you know, there's nothing all that socially awkward about him, but he spends most of the movie kind of just really trapped in the orbit of this guy, Zeke. He has a crush on this uh, girl his age, played by Una Lawrence, Sophie. Not the only movie we'll talk about this week, by the way, that has Una Lawrence in it, surprisingly enough. And uh, which is strange because I feel like we haven't seen Una Lawrence in, in a while. I can't remember the last time. Maybe it was a uh, Southpaw or Bad Moms or something. Oh, is that was is that who that is? I was trying to figure out who that was. Like I recognize I couldn't place it. But that's who it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She she's she's been working for a while, but uh, yeah, did uh, just like two streaming releases in a row. I just noticed like, oh yeah. Uh, there she is, Una Lawrence, and uh, th- that that's the movie in a nutshell. Nutshell. Uh, this young guy Mo is kind of trying to navigate. It's like coming of age, obviously. He's trying to navigate uh, his friendship with this guy Zeke, and ways that there, there's sort of like a selling drugs subplot that becomes like the main plot that is kind of sometimes feels a little crammed in there. But the real point of the movie is like this dynamic between the two guys. And how it affects, you know, I, I th- I'd say this movie has a lot of subplots, actually, just to get into mm-hmm. some criticism here, like to the point where none of it's all that cohesive. Like there's a weird rivalry between the father and Zeke that I, it, it just did not you found that quite, weird. I found it very strange. <laughs> yeah. OK. I, there was just something about the way John Cryer is delivering that part. I know it's supposed to be intentionally off balance, but I don't know. It just felt like a different movie to me for some reason. Like a lot of this movie feels like a lot of different things sort of competing for attention. And I'm not sure. I think the thing that I like the most about the movie is probably the the relationship between Mo and Zeke and how they are sort of like, you can feel them drifting apart. You can feel Mo starting to grow up a little bit, not need this guy in his life anymore. And that emotional tension is really good. And it, a lot of it is because Pete Davidson... I think he does have a lot of range in this movie. Like he he has he does something kind of subtle. I don't know if it's intent if he's being intentionally intentionally subtle or if he's just being himself. I'm curious what your read is, but I think this is a pretty effective uh, coming of age movie, and I think it's quite all right. Yeah, I mean overall, I think it's pretty solid. Um, I don't know. I, I do agree with the subplots, but I think I was in, I wasn't quite as bothered by the John Cryer one. I actually thought John Cryer was really good in this. Like I was anticipating that going in, nor that he would be in the movie. But actually, I'm not saying he's re- bad at all. No, no. But I mean, like I like I mean, all the stuff they did with him, I thought was pretty good. Like I, I didn't have any issues with how they portrayed his character or any of his subplots or the performance. Like for me, what I found what I found kind of weird is like the Sydney Sweetie thing was a little odd. And then like there's also like another kid that uh, is in his high school. I found like his whole deal was just kind of like I get why like eventually in the story, like they they need him. But like throughout the film, it's just like kind of a weird dynamic that I don't know. I, I get what they're going for. It just didn't quite work for me. But um yeah i mean i agree that like this is one of those films where if you if i had known what film festival was in going in i was like was this a sundance film i i would not be surprised because it just hits a lot of like the sundance tropes it um yeah i mean it hits a lot of like the coming age middle america yeah kind of things i tend to expect yeah indie dramedies that i think yeah i mean in that sense like i don't think the narrative itself is anything particularly noteworthy or anything you haven't seen before but i do agree that I think what ultimately makes it work are the performances, particularly from Pete Davidson, who like I think it's more good casting for a role that was probably catered to him. Like, I don't know if 
I'd have to see more performances from him to really gauge where I feel about him as an actor. But I do think he does. Like, I think this is good casting. I think this is a role that fits him very well. And I'm sure it was written for him. So that makes sense. But, you know, I mean, you know, credits where it's due. I think he does a good job. I think he does, like you say, have that kind of range and emotional range in the film that that does make the character a little bit more dynamic and intriguing than they might have otherwise been. Um, And I was really surprised by um, Machine Gun Kelly is in this. And he actually is really funny in this. I was not anticipating that. I mean, I think he's done. <laughs> there, a there are some good hearty roles. chuckles from this guy. Yeah, like I think the only thing I'd seen him in acting wise before this was Bird Box, and he was not good in that. Uh, nor was a lot of people. But I mean, he's yeah, he's like funny in this. Like, he gets some good lines. I think it was more that he was used rather judiciously in the film than like him being like a revelation as an actor. But um, you know, I mean, I think it's a credit to the filmmakers and the editing that they, you know, they find actors that I wouldn't really expect too much from and they they give fairly dynamic and intriguing performances and you know I mean like I said I don't think the film itself is anything particularly particularly remarkable or anything that you haven't seen before but I think what does well is stuff like the little moments like you said like they're like their relationship together the the two main characters and like just like kind of like everyday thing like there's a scene in a grocery store that I found pretty enjoyable where it's just like, you know, it doesn't really like yeah. service a plot much, but it's just kind of fun as far as like, you know, kind of building this kind of off kilter world with these character, these characters. Also, like another scene at a batting cage is kind of similar in that regard. So, you know, it's a fun little uh, small scale indie movie that you can stream right now. I don't think it's a must see, but in, in these times, I think it's perfectly fine as a nice streaming watch. Yeah, especially because it's it's sort of short. It's only 90 minutes long. And I was able to just finish it out really quickly on just, it was like morning and I got some coffee, sat in front of a TV, watched it. It was really pleasant. And yeah, there's some good laughs, even though it's like uneven how often the laughs come. You spend Mm -hmm. a lot of the movie just sort of letting yourself get more emotionally invested, which works too. I was going to say, yeah, some of the the hanging threads, I thought like this movie kind of lets you down when it comes to some of the supporting uh, female characters. I think that... Uh, Emily Arlick plays Kate, the the sister that Zeke dates in the beginning oh, of the yeah. movie, and Una Lawrence, as I reference, like they're they're good characters. Like especially Una Lawrence, whenever she comes on, she's she's interesting. I think she, mm-hmm. as a character, has a really good resolution. But there was just something about the movies, like I don't know, forgetful nature with how they tie into the emotional stakes that. I don't know. It, was, it felt a little soppy, especially with the sister character. I, I just think that she, there, there's something that she does kind of early on in the film that doesn't make too much sense, and they never really come back to it in a meaningful way. Yeah. And I'm kind of conflicted because I do appreciate. Okay, the movie's trying to stay a little bit more focused, and I, I kind of said before, like I think it gets too bogged down in some of all the subplots. Uh, but mm-hmm. that is actually like one subplot I think I would have preferred get a little bit more attention compared to the others. Or and, at least some resolution or something. Yeah, something something a little bit more cathartic, I guess, because yeah. you, you get a lot with like the drug stuff and there's like this kid with like chapped lips. Um, yeah, that's who, what I was I don't know. The, yeah, yeah the, the, that whole thing is just a little bit like, I don't care, you know? Right. And I think there's a lot of ways that I think that the idea that this kid... Uh, his life is upended by the drug scene and everything like that. It just, there are more interesting ways to tell this story in ways that like we haven't seen before. And that's the thing is like, Mm -hmm. uh, it is an interesting premise, but the way they go about 
the the big conflicts and plot it, it's just i don't know we've seen it like it is that right. it's too formulaic for me to like wholeheartedly recommend even though i do recommend it to anybody who enjoys a, a decent laid-back kind of sundancey movie yeah i mean that's basically where i'm at is i think it's a pretty good film on the verge of being a good film that i think it just if it was a little bit tightened up maybe did some things a little bit differently and there's a couple of moments where they do subvert expectations and kind of fun and intriguing ways but i don't know if there's enough here to make it like a full out like you said like full out recommend like it's like a more like soft like yeah you know it's a good streaming watch kind of thing which i think makes it a pretty understandable film for hulu to pick up um but yeah i mean i think by and large what the main takeaway here is that we're we're seeing a good showcase for pete davidson even though he's not technically the lead in this it is like his movie and you know it, his, it does his feel- charisma though his charisma mm-hmm. takes over. That that's another big criticism is I don't think the Mo character really man- like keeps up with him all the time. In my right. opinion, yeah, I mean not enough to where like, yeah, I mean to justify him being the lead over Pete Davidson. Um, but yeah, I mean I think I, I forget exactly where I was going with this, but um, no, yeah, I I think it's um it's a pretty good test run or trial run for what we're gonna see with the Jed Apatow film. I imagine. Like that, I feel like it's going to be more of like a like full stop, like here is Pete Davidson, here's him like at the height of his powers kind of movie. And this feels like kind of like a build up to that in a way that, you know, like I said, serviceable, fun, good streaming watch, but I don't think it really hits any like high points for me in that regard. Yeah, I'm a I'm a pretty high B minus. What about you? Yeah, that's about where I'm at. Like I said, like B minus on the verge of being a B. But I think, yeah, like there's a little bit too much here the to keep it from being a good film, but it's pretty solid all around. All right. Well, we started we started the reviews off with uh, some synergy, but let's see if we can dive into something a little bit more controversial, a little bit more polarizing. Sure. Let's talk about The Banker. Uh, the Banker is now streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. Now, full disclosure... I do work for Apple. I do not work for Apple TV, uh, mm-hmm. so I don't do anything in terms of like, I had nothing to do with the making of the banker and not, I don't do any marketing for the banker specifically, but I did watch it. I'm going to do my best to be objective on it because I did watch this movie. And uh, But you should definitely take Will Ashton's <laughs> review of this movie much more objectively than mine, I guess, uh, if that makes watch sense. Watch your words there, John. Oh, why is that? Do you have I a don't job? I don't know. I just no, no, job no, no. opportunity just, to announce. No, 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 no. I just like that. Just seems like uh, words you might later regret in life. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna come back to haunt me. Right. Uh, you're gonna like replay that audio at yeah. some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this this movie has been mired in some actual controversy. So it was directed, yeah. co-written, and produced by George Nolfi. Uh, George Nolfi, you'll remember, he uh, directed The Adjustment Bureau. Uh, he's a pretty yeah. well-known screenwriter, right? Uh, yeah, I got him mixed up with the St. Vincent Hidden Figures filmmaker. They have kind of similar names. Oh. You know who I'm talking? They have like similar last names, so it got me confused. Uh, uh, there Theodore is another. Sa- I think I know. I think I know who you're talking about, but yeah, I'm not as familiar. Um, like I was going to say though, the Adjustment. The Adjustment Bureau was the first movie Nolfi directed, but he was a screenwriter for a lot of other films like Born Ultimatum, Ocean's 12, Timeline, and mm-hmm. he's only directed one other movie. Uh, it was called Birth of the Dragon. Do you ever see this oh, one yeah, or the, hear about it? That's the uh, Bruce, Lee one, Bruce Lee movie, right? That's right. Yeah, it was a uh, biography, and it stars Billy Magnuson and Philip Bing. But then, yeah, so this is his first film since then. Uh, that he's directed The Banker. And like mm-hmm. I said, it's it's mired in some controversy. It stars 
Anthony Mackie, Nicholas Holt, Nia Long, Jesse T. Usher, Samuel L. Jackson, really powerhouse cast. You can see why this actually was supposed to be a contender at the Oscars. Uh, there were some, uh, some some buzz around this getting some acting nominations at the very well, least. Well, it's going to um, open up the AFI Film Festival, right? That's what, that's what I was about to say. So it was okay. going to premiere at the AFI Fest back in late November. However, it was taken off because... There, like I said before, there was uh, some sexual abuse allegations against uh, Garrett Sr.'s son, Bernard Garrett Jr. So the main character in the film, the the actual person, his real-life son who you see in the movie, uh, it was revealed um, that a family member uh, leveled a bunch of allegations against uh, this person who he actually had like a credit on the film, I think as a producer. Um, I, I don't know how much creative uh, pull he had with the movie itself, but he was taken off of the credits of this movie. Uh, the allegations were made by his half-sister, by the way, I should say. And uh, yeah, he was a co-producer. So we, we weren't sure when this movie was going to come out. It felt like the movie was a little bit cursed, honestly, because it was supposed to eventually just have like a normal release. And then that got delayed as well. And then we're finally, you know, it finally was going to be getting its limited release in theaters, which it did come out in some theaters, but not a lot. Uh, this is the only movie we're talking about this week that was actually played to the general public outside of like a film festival. Um, but right now it's only available via streaming because of, you know, the all the virus stuff. And so as of this past week, you can now stream it on Apple TV+. Plus. What is the banker about, Will Ashton? What... Aside from all the controversy I just got into, what 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 is this movie all about, and uh, should people check it out? Sure. Well, I was gonna update. I think the filmmaker I was thinking of was Theodore Melfi, which I guess might explain because they have kind of similar last names. What's the guy's name? They this George Nelfi. George George Nelfi. Yeah. So the guy I was thinking of was Theodore Melfi. So I guess that's where I got my confusion. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to answer your original question, the banker is a. True life story based on what's the guy's name? Bernard Garrett. Yeah, Bernard Garrett, who uh, back in, I want to say like the early 60s, right? Well, the film technically starts, I think, in like the 1930s and 40s, and then it goes yeah. into the 1950s, and then it goes into the 1960s. But yeah, I guess the very first scene is like 1965. Yeah. Yeah. So it just follows like there are two um, entrepreneurs played by Anthony Mackie and then eventually Samuel Jackson. And yeah, like you said, like I think in like the 50s leading into the 60s, they hire uh, Nicholas Holt's character to infiltrate as the head of a company. And they basically like, uh, you know, train him to be like the ultimate like mathematic, like um, Anthony Mackie's character. And then having also like the business suave, like Samuel Jackson's character to credibly you know, be the head of the company because based on the race at the time, there were reasons to believe that other businesses weren't interested or willing to sell businesses or real estate to African-Americans. And so they needed basically like a white man in a suit to act as them for professional reasons. Yeah. And then he was like their proxy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but yeah, obviously, I mean, as they get more successful, their ambitions get a little bit bigger. And also, they also find themselves uh, kind of at odds for different reasons. And eventually, there's some more drastic things that happen towards the end. Obviously, I can't say, but it's just kind of following their life throughout like basically a decade or two, uh, just as they kind of rise and then somewhat fall. 
And uh, yeah, it's like one of those like true untold stories that, um, you know, it's very easy to see why Apple would want to use this as a means to get into like the award scene as like an Oscar movie and then just bad luck befell them. So you can see from like the onset why this is one they'd wanted to put their support and interest in. Yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely think this movie... It probably would have been like it reminds me of kind of like how Dolmite is my name and and some other films kind of were more like streaming focus and they didn't necessarily have like aspirations for like best picture. But for this one, I definitely thought, okay, I could see Nia Long, Best Supporting Actress, Nicholas Holt, Best Supporting, Anthony Mackie, maybe Best Actor. But uh, maybe we'll get into it. I think that this is a movie that he absolutely owns toward the beginning and then kind of just slides into this slides into a bit of an ensemble as it goes on especially once Samuel L. Jackson's character becomes like as you said more of a co-lead and uh, I would actually if anybody had the best chance of getting like an Oscar nom it would be Nia Long and Samuel L. Jackson I think um unfortunately because I think Anthony Mackie is really good um yeah no I was gonna say I think Samuel L. Jackson probably had the best shot I wasn't really thinking Nia Long but I can see why you would think that no, no, I was just going to say, I mean, she has like a lot of those like Oscar-y scenes throughout. So I can see like in retrospective why she might be pushed for an awards contention. But yeah, I mean, I was thinking if anyone was going to get nom, just based on being like the showiest kind of most uh, prominent performance, it would probably yeah. be Samuel Jackson. Right, right. And so, yeah, circumstances dictated that that wasn't to be. And so now it's just more of like a sleepy, quiet release at this point. But I'm going to say, I think that this movie is actually pretty solid. I think it's like a solid kind of Oscar baity kind of picture i'm a little disappointed because i was i was much more enamored with the movie in its early goings like the first half hour as we're getting to know bernard garrett who is this like mathematical genius who is so he just has all of this promise and you really see him as a bit of a maverick as a guy who is trying his hardest to break into real estate despite the the biases the the prejudice and and all the racial animosities thrown against him in Los Angeles but you know just seeing his like tenacity and the way he just keeps go- his persistence in finding success is really thrilling to see but then the movie sort of changes into a heist movie kind of where it's really about these two these two guys uh Joe Morris and Bernard Garrett coaching Matt Steiner uh, Nicholas Holt's character into basically being their white person. <laughs> you know, it's like that it reminds me of Black Klansmen. It's like with the white, with the right mm-hmm. white person, we can do anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And so that's that's really the direction the movie takes, and it's definitely entertaining to watch. But yeah, by by the time this movie ended, I I didn't find myself particularly moved or or really swept, and I I did find myself a little bit confused by some of the real life events and how they connect with how the movie narrates their life honestly uh i'm a little i feel a little skeptical about how all of this went down and that's even removed from some of the other things involving the uh the allegations against bernard's uh garrett's sons so but what what did you think of this one well uh i'm not too far from you i'd probably be a little more negative just because for me yeah i mean i think for me i was mostly into it when it's samuel jackson and anthony mackie working together Primarily, like you said, the scenes where they're coaching Nicholas Holt. I think that's when the movie really comes alive. And I think those are the moments that are like the most fun, the most cinematically interesting. That's where it has the most energy. 
But for the most part, I found the movie just be kind of watered down and kind of by the books fairly basic in terms of its story presentation, its execution. Um, there's little about this that really made it seem like a like super cinematic film, which kind of makes the idea of this being like a like cinematic awards contender a little odd. Like you said, maybe it was they're thinking more of the performances in the film itself, but I don't know, just nothing. Well, not nothing. For the most part, a lot of this didn't really stand out or make much of an impression with me it just felt like the kind of film you'd see like half watch in history class or something where it's like you know like not it's done competently enough where it's not terrible like it's not a bad film but there's little about that really i think from a presentation standpoint just in terms of its execution stands out beyond the two central performances in a way that I think would have made this like an honest, earnest awards contender. Now, granted, there are several films that aren't very good that do get into the awards contention, but I don't know. I mean, I can see, like I said, from the onset, why this was going to be their big awards push at Apple, but I just think the film itself didn't really have much going for it to make it stand out compared to what we got that was in the actual Oscars last year. Yeah, I guess the only place where I I really disagree, like where I find myself kind of kind of pushing back quite a bit, is I, I do think even though the movie's not very flashy in its presentation, I do think that the cinematography is, is really is really working. It's really cooking for me in this movie. I I think that it's very uh, just the look film, and yeah. feel of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's very like there, there's something about it where. I think the way that shots helps the pacing, which I think otherwise is a little sloppy, a little, a little sure. bit like we, as you're going along the movie, I think what keeps you in it is the energy of the filmmaking, um, which is, I, I think the energy you're talking about with the three of them, I would sort of agree. That's where the movie is probably is at its most entertaining. I think the movie is at its most interesting when you're really just following Anthony Mackie's character. However, I, I just I think the cinematography here is from Charlotte Bruce Christensen. She did A Quiet Place and a movie that this actually reminded me quite a bit was probably Fences, where it's just it's very small. Okay. It's a very intimate and it's a movie that it pauses like it actually gives you a little bit of time to just let characters have like a, a shot where there's just no words, no dialogue. Just you see like Bernard Garrett standing in the middle of this banker's building coming up with the idea that he's going to have that's going to fuel the rest of this movie it's like it's it's cinema it's cinematic it's that kind of cinematic quality that i personally respond to quite a bit when i'm watching these kinds of like it's the kinds of things that other movies of this genre like uh R- roman j israel right uh w- which didn't really have that it's a movie that kind of got lost in uh, its its I story that one was more cinematically interesting in this film <laughs> If I'm truly what? honest. What? Roman J. Israel? Really? Yeah. Uh, I couldn't disagree more. I, th- I think that movie was uh, so embarrassing in, in terms of like trying to hold your attention. I'd, I think I was much more, I had a much easier time staying really connected to this movie personally. I guess so. I mean, but for me, like I, I do agree. I think it's a sharp looking movie. Like I think I have no real qualms with the cinematography, but like honestly, when I was watching a movie, I was like, yeah, you know, this digital look, you know, it's a shame more movies aren't shot on film. And then I was watching the credits and it was on Kodak 35 millimeter film. And I had no idea that they actually shot this on film, which it makes sense given that's the quiet place cinematographer. But I don't know. I think that just kind of leads to my point. It just feels like a glorified TV movie to me. Like it, it's not incompetent, but it just doesn't really have much to stand out stylistically from movies that would be up for best picture at the Oscars otherwise it just doesn't really stand out to me in that way I think I agree with you in terms of maybe the screenplay 
but not with the performances. I think that's where we differ. I think the performances are what easily elevate this way oh, beyond sure. the negative connotation of a TV movie, which, you know, TV movies can obviously be really good. We're not trying to knock them down. Mm-hmm. But as no, a I point mean, of comparison, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As a point of comparison, I would say the banker really is like the sum of really good performances and the sharp quality I think you're referring to in terms of like the look and feel. I think that's what makes this one pretty easy recommend for me. I think it's pretty solid. So I'm like a low B, like really low. Um, I'd say that if it was the choices between this and big time adolescence, I would probably, I would easily rewatch big time adolescence because I think I would have more fun with that movie. But the banker, I think, you know, even though I would probably half watch it in history class, I think it would be an important movie to watch. Uh, it's an important sure. story to be introduced to. Now, I don't know for sure if I if I think that it's uh, all that faithful to the true events. That's something that I'm not an expert on. But uh, as a sort of like a movie that can at least get your feet wet with the true lives of these really fascinating people, I think it's worth your time. But I do I do want to emphasize I find some of the ending of the film, which we can't really talk in detail about, where it sort of pivots into racial justice. I found a little bit disingenuous personally. I don't think the film properly built up to that point. Um, yeah, so that, that moment did not quite work for me at all. Um, but otherwise mm-hmm. I think this is a, a pretty decent film. So I'm a low B, but I would buy you. Yeah. I'm, I'm ultimately more negative on it. I, I, I do agree with some of the things you enjoyed about it. And I, I think, you know, it, it has its virtues. Like it's easy to see where this movie can be easy to recommend. I, I think the performances are where it stands out the most. And I do think, when it is Anthony Mackie and uh, Samuel Jackson working together, especially their chemistry together is really strong. And I was definitely perking up in those moments, but everything else just kind of felt fairly tedious and by the numbers in a way that both visually and just in terms of its story mechanics, in terms of like, like you said, the screenplay um, just didn't really stand out to me in a way that made this really worth recommending outside of if you have an interest in the story, which is understandable. I think there is like a better film in here and it gets close at times to being a good film. But overall, it just seems fairly kind of ho-hum in the middle of the road for me. And with the controversy added to it, it it doesn't really seem like one that, I mean, even beyond the controversy, it doesn't really seem like one I'd want to recommend anyway. So for me, it's a fairly uh, easy C plus to give. All right. So that's a C plus from Will, B from me. Uh, let us know in the comments what you think of The Banker. For now, let's move into Stargirl. Stargirl is another streaming film. What a surprise. And uh, this one is now available on Disney Plus. It's a Disney Plus original. We're still sort of getting more and more Disney Plus originals. We don't have a ton of them in terms of like the movie, original movies and all Mm -hmm. that. We got about like five now, I think. Yeah, there's a Timmy Failure and Mm -hmm. uh, there's Noelle and Togo. Um, Yeah. Something I'm Uh, forgetting. I'm sure there's one or two more, but uh, probably ones that we haven't seen. But this one you have seen. I have not Mm -hmm. seen Stargirl. I'm kind of interested in it, though. I'm a little curious. This is based on a novel called Stargirl by Jerry Spinelli. And it was directed by Julia Hart, who uh, really really took people by surprise with Fast Color um, from a couple years ago. That was a movie that Mm -hmm. a lot of people... uh, I think it got like a more wide release last year, but I think it was in the festival circuit the year before. And that was a film that I think people were kind of championing as something that deserved a little bit more attention. Julia Hart also worked on Miss Stevens. So uh, I don't know if you saw that one, Mm -hmm. Will. But uh, this one comes from a screenplay by Kristen Hahn with Julia Hart, as well as Jordan Horowitz. 
and it stars Grace Vanderwall, who Grace mm-hmm. Vanderwall, I don't think is, uh, I think she's new to feature films. She's more of a musician, yeah. singer, songwriter, very young girl, um, plays ukulele, I think, and does like, yeah, really, she won, uh, she did America's, she Got, America's Talent. Got Talent. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, America's Got Talent. Um, she's kind of like a Radio Disney person. I think she's won some like Teen Choice Awards. Like she, she's the kind of per- little little uh, outside of Will and myself's uh, pop culture, I'd say. But uh, definitely yeah. aware of her. But uh, this is a movie that uh, she she's like the the big lead, right, along with um, Graham Verscher. Mm-hmm. So Will Ashen, what is Star Girl? Yeah. Is this a movie that uh, I should be checking out? Not under the stars because I should be at home self isolating. <laughs> yes, uh, I don't know why I wasn't. I wasn't prepared for your self isolation uh, gag going in there, but um, yeah, I mean, f- yeah, like you said, it's a film like uh, it's your typical kind of Jerry Spinelli archetype story. Like I haven't read this book, but I read Crash a few years ago, and it kind of follows a similar structure, which is that we have this kid named Leo. Uh, he. Uh, no longer is with his father and he is raised in a single parent household with his mom. And, uh, he had a very special connection with his father. They had like, he had a big tie collection that he adopted when he passed. And that's like kind of like his quirk, I guess, is that he's often seen in his father's tie and he has trouble, you know, adjusting socially. He, uh, is, you know, kind of mild mannered guy. But then, uh, later on, once he turns 16, he meets a new girl in school who goes by the name Star Girl, who is uh, Grace Vanderbilt. Uh, or Vanderwall? Is that her name? Grace Vanderwall? I think you say Vanderwall. You can just call her Wonderwall yeah. if you want. Wonderwall. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, yeah, she basically embodies your typical kind of manic pixie dream girl archetype. I know that's kind of going out with fashion nowadays, but she does it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to ignore. Like she has very, you know, vibrant colors she wears. Like she just kind of like does very weird, quirky things like sing happy birthday to this kid. She doesn't know in the cafeteria and just pay random people's parking fees, uh, for no reason. And just, you know, generally gets adopted by the school for having like this kind of like magical quality that elevates this kind of middle of the road, uh, nowhere town in New Mexico into being a kind of more socially vibrant place. And, uh, as time passes, she begins to form a relationship with Leo, but, um, through different circumstances, the school starts to kind of turn on her and their relationship gets tested because of that. And, uh, we see basically a coming of age story for Leo. Now, I mean, like I said, like, because of that, it does, feel like we're kind of seeing a film from another era in some respects like even though this is a streaming exclusive like it feels like you know the kind of film we would have seen maybe in like 2009 like there are certain ways without getting spoilers where they do kind of test the uh manic pitsy dream girl archetype not like in a way like 500 days of summer where it feels like it's directly challenging it but more like a this feels like kind of like a starter kit for people who like might be getting into like those type of films while not really being ready yet to like look at them from more like objective critical standpoint. So like, say if I had seen this, I think like at the same age I saw Garden State, which is probably around 16, I think I would have been like head over heels in love with this movie. But watching it now, like as like a 26 year old, I feel like it's solid. Like it's a really enjoyable film. Like it's well made. Like I think I haven't seen Julia Hart's previous films, including Fast Color. So I this is my introduction to her work. And I think she's a really exceptional filmmaker based on what I've seen here. Ooh. And I would be very excited. You should to see, see Fast Color. Work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know I should see Fast Color pronto. 
Yeah, I mean, that's on Hulu right now, right? I think so, yeah. Hulu is the first one I would guess. I know it's on Netflix or HBO, so I would try mm-hmm. there. Yeah, but I know it got a lot of... I mean, it didn't end up playing in theaters here, unfortunately, so I didn't miss my chance to see it, and I just uh, never got around to it. But I know it was supposed to be really well-acclaimed, and I know that it helped put Julia Hart on the map, and I think she actually just filmed her next film here in Pittsburgh, so I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as the film itself, I think it's, you know... As another streaming title that you can watch in the convenience of your home, it's you know very charming, very sweet in a way that feels fairly genuine. I do think everyone from the filmmaking standpoint really has their heart in this thing, and I do think there is like a lot of technical merit to it, and it's well made enough that it's an enjoyable, you know, an easy film to like and watch. But I think it's one of those films where I think you have to be of a certain age to really get something full with it. Like I think it's gonna if you're not like of the kind of preteen teen demographic, I don't know if this is going to really resonate with you. Maybe I'm wrong, but for me, it just felt like it's hard to n- not fully get immersed in this film without some reservations. But um, just looking at it as like a nice, charming little Disney Plus movie, um, I think it is a really good showcase for Grace Vanderwalt. And um, I, like you mentioned, I didn't really know who she was going in. I didn't know who she was at all. In fact, so as like an introduction to what I imagine is being used as like a kind of like star uh, performance or a star uh, film, no pun intended. Um, I think, you know, it's a good showcase for her. And it's easy to see that she does have a lot of talent um, outside of being a really accomplished musician. And I think if she does continue acting, she does a really ha- she does have a really solid career ahead of her. But I think the film itself is you know, it's an easy streaming watch. It's not one I'd go out of my way to see. Um, overall, it's just like a pretty good B minus film. Again, another film I think is pretty good on the verge of being good, but never quite doing enough from a script standpoint to, uh, I think, warrant that distinction. But um, I think if you check it out, you'll probably enjoy it. And for that, um, yeah, like I said, B minus. So I, I looked it up. Fast Color actually is on not just Hulu. But you can also find it on Amazon Prime Video. Um, so okay. that's good news because that makes it extremely accessible and i'm looking at grace vanderwall's uh her her music uh it looks like her songs go all the way back to like 2016 i was gonna play a little bit of a song for you will ashton but uh you did just watch the movie so you're you're good you're you're all you're all caught up yeah i mean she has like at least three or four song numbers in the film so i'm pretty well a uh, pretty aware at this point who she is as, as a musician but um yeah i mean i'll have to I have to keep my eye out, I guess, to see where she goes with her career because she seems like she's on the rise if uh, Disney's can help it. Yeah, sounds like it. All right. Well, that is Stargirl streaming now on Disney+. Plus. Our last review of the week is Lost Girls, which we've been meaning to talk about for a while. It came out March 13th, so we're a little late. Uh, we're not talking about it until uh, over a week after it premiered on Netflix. I finally managed to catch it today, though. Uh, this is, like I said, now on Netflix, it stars Amy Ryan, uh, Thomas and McKenzie, Lola Kirk, Una Lawrence, who I ref- referenced earlier in the show, uh, Dean Winters, Gabriel Byrne, uh, plenty others, including Kevin Corrigan, and uh, the guy who plays uh, Mayhem, um, that's Dean Winters, right? You know Mayhem, um, like the Allstate? Oh, that guy. Okay. I, I didn't know his name, but I yeah. know he's like in John Wick and stuff. Yeah. So he's in this. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he was also in like 30 Rock and stuff. But yeah, so okay. Lost Girls is a mystery drama about uh, an unsolved murder. It is based on a screenplay, which is also based on a book by Robert Kolker. And it is 
Whew, it's a little depressing. Well, um, you know, it, it's kind of in the vein of like Netflix crime drama. It's like it's something that could like fit right into like Mindhunter, except not quite as elevated as that show. And uh, this is more, you know, obviously a movie. It actually premiered at Sundance uh, not too long ago. So Sundance of this year. And, you know, it's it's one of those movies. It got like it definitely wasn't on the low end of reviews from Sundance. It's got a 76 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It was always planned to be like a Netflix film. Like it never was going to be something that got like pulled or like pushed to Netflix early or anything like that. Uh, Netflix, uh, I think, uh, was attached to this all along, I think, since they announced the film a few years ago. In fact, when I was watching it, I was like, man, I can kind of tell that it seemed like this movie was made a while back because Una Lawrence, who's in it, she's kind of like playing a much younger version of like, it's weird that I saw a big time adolescence where she's playing like a 16 year old girl. And in this movie, she's like supposed to be like 12. And she, it's not that she looks all that different, but there was just something weird about that, like whiplash, I guess that I want to yeah. put out there. Uh, but as it turns out, they did actually film this just like a year ago. So it wasn't that long ago or anything. It's just, it just seems like this movie has kind of a, an, an old fashioned quality to it. It is based on real events, as I mentioned, uh, specifically the Long Island serial killer, which is, like I said, it's unsolved. And there's actually like a lot of tragic stuff around this family and this story that really hard to believe. It's one of those movies where like you, you have to like look up what really happened afterward. And I was surprised by how much of it kind of holds up. And I was also surprised by how much of it, the movie kind of glosses over or sort of states as fact when a lot of stuff is very dubious uh, in this real life story from like multiple sources. So that's something that I think responsible viewers should look into themselves. Do your homework, you know, look into the, all the different facets of the story because it is, it is fascinating. It's a very compelling thing. So here's what Lost Girls is about. Uh, we follow this young woman played by Amy Ryan, who is a mother of three girls. Um, technically she has four daughters, but the movie only has three for reasons that are kind of strange actually uh, i'm not sure if that was just like a creative decision because one of the girls maybe one of the daughters didn't want to be part of it i'm not sure but uh and you might be wondering like if you know some of the real life stuff you're like oh i, I bet i know why it's like no no like that person is in the movie like they they kind of address it um and that kind of speaks to some of the more of the tragic stuff i i don't want to give away here but uh, as we're following this young mother she's working two jobs she's really having a hard time making ends meet. She lives in upstate New York with uh, two of her three daughters. The third one lives elsewhere and she's making a lot of money unbeknownst though to some of the people in the family, but not the mother, she's a prostitute. And one day they don't hear from her and then some more time passes. And this mother whose name is, uh, I think it's Mary, it's Mary, but with an I. So like, I couldn't tell if it was like supposed to be Marie or whatever, but we'll say like Marie Gilbert, uh, she tries to go to the police and she tries to go to, like, she has an idea of where her daughter went missing. There's apparently a lot of clues and there are a lot of leads that the police just never looked into. And they just sort of, they, they've been dismissing her. They haven't been paying attention. And Marie feels helpless. Like she feels like because her daughter has been branded a sex worker, uh, there's just no interest whatsoever in finding justice and figuring out what happened in the situation. And by accident, they find that there were a bunch of other bodies, like similar cases where these other young women were killed. And they, they still don't know for sure though, if Marie's daughter was killed. So she's still a missing person. 
And eventually Marie sort of like gathers around with these other women and they try to help each other bring new light, um, both through press and through their own investigation into paying attention to the story and getting the public to understand like, no, it's, it's actually important. <laughs> you know, like these women are human beings and it's, it's not cool for them to be dismissed as prostitutes. And as that, a reason, as that being a reason not to, um, really take this seriously, this whole situation. It's a very infuriating movie as you go along, and a lot of it does coincide with real life that that you can tell there's a lot of corruption going on. Unfortunately, like one of the one of the downsides with this is that because it's a real life event, they don't actually go into territory of like there's no answers you really get. Like there can't be. Like there's not there are certain things like they sort of touch on in this movie where you're like, oh, I want to know more about that, but you can't because in real life, we don't know more about this specific avenue of the investigation. And so in that way, it was a little frustrating. It made me wonder if this would have worked better as a documentary, as something that could have been a little bit more bird's eye into this situation, because it is a little frustrating to go along the course of events in the film. It feels very long for that reason. It's only 95 minutes, but I, th- I thought like when it was over, I was like, man, was that like two hours long? No, <laughs> you know, like it felt like there was an extra half hour added onto it. And I also think considering what does happen in real life, there are certain things in this movie that get completely glossed over to the point of, I, I, again, I think frustrating is the word. Uh, there's a lot in this movie that is just frustrating. But what makes the movie work as a, you know, as a worthwhile recommend if you're cruising Netflix for something interesting to watch and you like this genre, if you like Mindhunter and serial killer mysteries and, and things like that. I think you will get something out of this. And the reason is because the performances are good. The two main adult performances, or I should say three adult performances. Thomas and McKenzie is an adult. Um, she's like, I think 19 or 20, but she's a kid in this movie. Uh, her, Amy Ryan and Gabriel Byrne are the real highlights um, in terms of like the, uh, the back and forth between Amy Ryan and her daughter and Gabriel Byrne, who plays the commissioner, uh, Richard Dormer. The dynamic between those three characters uh, some of the more interesting parts of the movie, I think Una Lawrence gets denigrated to the background a lot. Um, she's one of the characters I think is a kind of a missed opportunity. Uh, there is a character played by Lola Kirk, as I mentioned in here, who plays the sister of one of the deceased girls who, who does get some just really good moments. There's a scene between her and Thomas and McKenzie that is so lively and, and full of just like this, this like lonely regret between these two young women trying to like understand their families and trying to understand, you know, especially like Thomas and McKenzie's character trying to figure out how does she avoid the the pitfalls that has like enveloped her family in this situation. Kim is definitely somebody who can relate. Uh, finding the, some of the bonds between these women. I mean, that's where this movie is is certainly at its most crucial. I think that the relationship and the friendship between all of them is is really lovely to see. I mean, this movie, this movie laughs at the Bechdel test. It's like the Bechdel test. We we passed that test years ago. That's what it makes it feel like. You know, like, this is a movie focused on the the women, and it's focused on their plight and how the especially the men of the police force are letting them down. And it does it without being too preachy and without really just sort of being all up its own. You know what? In terms of uh, just trying to stick it to somebody or trying to be like needlessly angry it feels justified and there is a righteous indignation to what these women are after. And I I just found it really fulfilling in that sense, the movie itself, uh, you know, like, like a lot of the other movies we've talked about, there's nothing quite stellar about it. There's nothing that really stands out. There's nothing really that will, I think thoroughly get to you. 
maybe we'll get to some viewers. Um, maybe if you have a personal connection to the story or to these situations, uh, it's something that I certainly felt empathy. I certainly felt a lot of care for uh, some characters, but I did have a hard time as much as I appreciate the performance. I did have a hard time really investing in the main lead. Uh, with Marie Gilbert as a character, not with Amy Ryan's performance, but just with who this character is. I think the movie really t goes back and forth between how you're supposed to feel about her. And I think that's the point. I think it's trying to make you understand she's a very complex, multidimensional person, which I do appreciate. But by the end, I, I just did not get a feel for the point of view of this movie in terms of who this person is and, and what uh, really is her story. And because there's a little bit of tension between, yeah, whose story is this? And uh, it did remind me a little bit of The Banker in terms of like, it just sort of veers off into becoming an ensemble, which I don't think it's, I don't know. There, there was something about it where I thought it's not quite a film that should be an ensemble, even though I do like all the supporting actors. It, it, there, there was something missing for me here. So I'm kind of lukewarm on it. I think it's a kind of a low B minus almost like a high C plus. I, I'm not quite as low as I probably would be if I had maybe seen this. Like I have a feeling if I had saw, seen this with an audience at like Sundance after seeing like a bunch of movies in a row, I don't know if I would have had the patience for this, but because I was able to take it in at kind of a slow pace and uh, I was able to watch it and it gets something out of it. So and I think some people listening might get something out of it too. I think it's worth uh, a look if you think the premise sounds interesting. So uh, low B minus for me and and will uh, do you plan on checking this one out at any point? I'm not, I'm not sure if you really talked about it or expressed any interest. Uh maybe. I don't I didn't know too much about it before you started talking about. It. I knew it was on Netflix and it hit the site around the time the coronavirus was um at large, so I I heard a decent bit about it but just like kind of general thoughts, something specific. Um so maybe. I don't know. Like we'll see. Um, but yeah, your kind of lukewarm response doesn't make it seem like it's one that I have to check out. Yeah. And you know, I guess I'm not that much of an outlier. Like I said, 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's only out of 33 reviews. Uh, some people are digging it. Some people a little bit more in the middle. Like I am, but I'm not sure it's something that, yeah, is absolutely demanding your attention, but because there aren't a lot of options we generally have right now. Yeah. It might be worth some people's, uh, you know, curiosity, I suppose, but that is Lost Girls. And with that, we have covered some of the bigger streaming releases, lots of other things. Like uh, I know there's Westworld and there's uh, I'm Not Okay With This and there are a lot of other shows and everything like that. So last call, um, don't forget if you have something yeah. you're interested in that you want us to look into, uh, please let us know because we're trying to figure it out. <laughs> trying to figure mm -hmm. out what's worth bringing to the uh, forefront. I think Lovebirds might be hitting Netflix early. And if that's the case, we'll definitely yeah. be looking into that. Um, there's Uncorked, which was supposed to come out this past week, but it got delayed by Netflix for some reason. I don't know too much about that one. We were talking about it before the show. We're, we're both like kind of in the dark with what that is, but yeah, if anything else, uh, HBO, Netflix, there's a lot of new things coming out. Uh, I'm not totally sure. Will, is there anything that off the top of your head, you've been like, well, maybe this thing. Um, I mean, I know the platform came on Netflix and I heard some good things about that one. Um, I think that's a, like a thriller film that, that they, they debuted, um, like on Friday. Yeah. 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 Um, there was something else. They, There's they also released. Tiger King. Oh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking of actually. Um, I don't really know anything about it. I just heard about it, but, um, I think they have an Ama Darmos film coming out soon. I don't know if it's this week or another week or so, but oh, I think really? that's that. Yeah. I think it's like something with an S I don't know the exact title, but I think mm, it's coming out. I don't know about the this site one too. Yeah. I mean, I think that might be coming out in April. 
but yeah, I, I, I know it's coming out soon. That's the thing is like things are moving so fast. We're not sure uh, what's going to be available on streaming and what's not even in the coming week. Uh, there's also a lot of things that did come out in theaters that if you didn't get a chance, for example, to see Onward or Emma or The Invisible Man, or I think also The Hunt, I think all yeah. of those movies and more are actually available now on streaming on demand. Um, so you can yeah. check them out on iTunes. I think Onward's going to be on Disney Plus in just a couple of weeks. So yeah. th- those are options as well. I know some people listen to the show and they, they don't catch things until a little bit later. So you you at least will be able to see them in the comfort of your own home. Yeah, and I think the way back is also hitting streaming or not streaming uh, on demand this week as well. That one, that one, I wasn't sure about because I hadn't heard about it yet. I wasn't sure if that one was getting anything. I think it comes out on streaming Tuesday, which will probably be when this episode is released. So I believe by the time you are hearing this episode, it should be available on demand. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week on Cinemaholics. Don't forget to check out Cinemaholics.com. Connect with us uh, via the comment section for this episode. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter. All that info is in the show notes as always. Uh, Will Ashen, thank you for being my esteemed co-host in these dark, dark ages. Um, Looking forward to what we talk about next. Uh, From the Internet California, I'm John Agroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashen. See you next time.